0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I think people often fetishise or other this idea of creativity when they're thinking about themselves.
1: So I think that we are all artists. Sometimes we forget that.
2: I think it's part of the human experience. It's what makes us human.
0: I think we actually need to look at creativity for what it really is. It's bringing a certain philosophy to rules, I would say.
1: We think an artist is somebody, I don't know, who's very flamboyant or has a bow tie, I don't know. This character who is like arty.
2: The sole artist with the long, flowing <laughs> hair and the French beret and the big cape. Oh, Sorry, I'm sitting here. <laughs>
3: yeah, I know. I can't believe you're wearing your beret in here. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lisa Leong. And in this special Arts Week episode of This Working Life, you're going to learn how to think, create and work like an artist, no matter what your job is.
1: Just talking to you now over the internet, I'm at a different time. I'm in a different place. I can see different things around me to the, to the things you can see around you. I can make sense of all of that, and yet I can imagine I'm having a real conversation with you in real time in the same place.
3: This is Will Gompertz.
1: Hi, I'm Will Gompertz, the BBC's former arts editor. I'm an author. I've been the artistic director of the Barbican, and still am actually, for the next few weeks. And then I'm off to join an amazing place called the Sir John Soane's Museum.
3: And even though he's multitasking in his mind during our interview, it shows how inherently creative we are.
1: All of that computing going on inside of my brain requires a huge amount of creativity, the ability to imagine and to realise those imaginations. So just thinking about what we're going to have for dinner, for example, uh, whilst having a conversation and listening to the radio and thinking about work the next day and thinking about the kids, all this ability to get out of time and place, have ideas and realise them from starting a business to deciding to what you're going to make for dinner, is a uniquely human experience. No other species has anything like that level of creativity, and no machine ever will either. And I would argue that because that is the thing which makes us uniquely human, is when we are being creative or are in the space where creativity is happening, or maybe looking at an artwork, is when, when we feel closest to the life force, when we feel most alive, when we feel most human.
3: But what if you feel like you're stuck in your office for your day job? Will says... Sorry, no
1: excuses. So I, I often hear the argument from people saying, I'm, I, I'm a corporate person, I have no creativity, I, I'm, I'm about a million miles away from being an artist, as you can imagine. I'm an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, whatever it might be. But, uh, of course, all those people are incredibly creative. And, and actually, if you look at the history of modern art, the history of modern art, the most radical people, the people who determined what it was going to be in the West, at least, all four were trained lawyers. Henri Matisse, you know, was was trained to be a lawyer. His father was furious when he decided he was going to be an artist, as opposed to fulfil his career for which he had trained. And, of course, he was the, the great post-impressionist who made those wonderful high-key colour images, which still mean so much to us all today. Suzanne, the great hero of modern art, the guy who basically invented abstraction, invented modernism, this grumpy Frenchman who sat on his farm in Aix-en-Provence, trained as a lawyer Marcel Duchamp the most radical of all the artists who decided that a urinal could be a work of art which led to surrealism to dada to punk rock he trained as a notary as an actuary and as a lawyer and then finally the great russian artist Vasily Kandinsky the inventor you could say of abstraction not only was he a lawyer? He was an academic who taught lawyers. So so, so we get ourselves into such a muddle about this is an arty job, this is not an arty job. But actually, you know, if you take a, a subject like law, that is all about interrogating the truth. And interrogating the truth is about asking questions. And asking questions is about being creative. And yet nowadays, we, we are so keen on putting people in pigeonholes that you have to be something. You, you know, you, you're kind of identified by your... by by what you do for work as opposed to being identified as a sentient, creative human being.
3: So how can art help us think differently and even perhaps approach work in a fresh way? I
1: think art, both making it and looking at it, gives us a sense of peace. And whether the art is a tough watch or, you know, it's something really beautiful like an Impressionist painting, the, the point is we just stop and look and actually in our lives nowadays, we so rarely stop and look. I remember having a conversation with a British artist, uh, David Hockney. He makes these, he's a, quite a character and he makes these really bright pictures of the countryside in North East England. And the countryside in northeast England, as far as most people would tell you, is, can be quite miserable. <laughs> you know, the, the, the howling winds, gray skies, pouring rain, that's sort of the image. And Hockney makes these paintings which look more like L.A. Than, than Yorkshire. And I said to him, you know, David, you seem to look at life through rose-tinted spectacles. And he said, no, I don't. It's just you haven't learned to look. He said, if you go and stand in that wood I painted in North Yorkshire, if you give it some time, if you actually stop and, and challenge your preconceptions and look, you will find that the tree trunks are purple and the leaves are iridescent and the paths like a mosaic. And everything is really, really brightly colored and changes all the time. And I did what he asked, or in fact instructed, and I went to this wood. And lo and behold, after about 20 minutes of standing, just quietly looking at the trees, looking at the leaves, looking at the landscape, I started to see colors that he saw. And those colors really were there. And that I think is something that artists can do for us which is to show us the world that we live in from a fresh perspective, which makes it feel fresh and exciting and vivid again, as opposed to a hamster wheel in which we never see anything.
2: Well, I think that if you look at children, right, right from probably when they pop out of the womb, the first thing that they do creatively is that they look for faces, facial features in their parents. um, And so they're responding to the environment. And that's really what artists do. We respond to the environment. I'm Janelle Evans, a Doctor of uh, Critical and Arts Theories at the Victorian College of the Arts at the University of Melbourne.
3: Why would you say that it's good,
2: in fact, essential to cultivate that artistic side again? I think it's part of the human experience. It's what makes us human. And particularly now that AI is going to become more predominant in our lives, what is it that makes us human is something that's actually going to, uh, I think, become more critical in the years to come. Um, So how we express ourselves, how we actually engage creatively with the world. Uh, so that we don't become machines and robots ourselves. And we're kind of moving away from this idea of the artist as a genius and more to uh, looking at the artist as a maker, creator and a person who interrogates the world around them. Mm.
3: So. I wanted to cultivate my inner artist. How might I do that?
2: Well, I think that uh, even just doodling, I I consider to be a a creative practice. Great. And and actually, that's where I get a lot of my inspiration from for my paintings is just going back to my doodles and seeing what subconsciously I was um, playing with or making marks with. And then I can extend that in the studio into something That has a a different format, you know. Like, so you're saying it doesn't have to be something. That's right. It's it's more about. I I I think the the subconscious or the unconscious uh, it really tells us what it is that we're maybe not bringing to the surface. So, by doodling and just playing around and making those little scratchy marks, like we used to do when we were children, uh, is actually something that we can look upon as a as an artistic practice to some extent you know you would obviously extend that and and question it but as an initial way of just getting into doing something I think it's important Janelle the theme of
3: Arts Week across the ABC is happy making how creating art can improve our well-being so how does your practice help you manage burnout
2: It's possibly not being so hard on yourself and just realising that sometimes it's okay to take a break, you know, that you Mm. uh, and, and I think in today's workforce that so many of us are feeling burnout, you know, we're constantly under pressure and under stress. And art can help with that, you know, or the making, making can help with that. So even Mm -hmm. if it's just, you know, getting two leaves together and twisting them into a knot or or something like that, that's still making, that's still using the hands. And that is really important, the hand action, the way it affects our brain is that the brain recognises the hand is doing something and so neurologically it calms us down. So even if we're not making art, but we're making, making chopping vegetables or we're making um, just twisting some grass together or we're making by crocheting or knitting or we're making by, you know, being in the shed and working with some tools, that's all making. It's all also a creative process. And the brain recognises that we are being creative, being haptic, we call working with the hands and that just decreases our stress levels straight away.
0: Hello, my name is Ramesh Mario Nithyendran. I'm a contemporary artist and I work with all sorts of mediums, but I'm known for my big, colourful ceramic sculptures. Within my art practice, I explore a lot of themes through the sculptures that I make. But I'm primarily interested in histories of figurative sculpture and idolatry. So a lot of the works I make, you could say, are New Age idols that collapse a number of references, ranging from Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, to the internet, to emojis, to popular culture. It's all there. I think people have lots of different perceptions about creativity and people who are involved in creative professions. What I always say to them is creativity is central to any form of innovation or ingenuity. Because really, if you think about what creativity actually means, it's about making the most out of finite parameters. So if we had infinite parameters, it would be very hard to actually measure what creativity is. But once we start to create a set of boundaries, we can actually look for creativity within our responses to those boundaries, and. I think me personally, as a contemporary artist, especially, I'm really obliged to think about what symbols mean, you know, what are the cultural implications of imagery, the use of materials, and discourse is always changing, society, culture is always changing, and therefore my approach to art making is kind of fluidly evolving at the same time, but I would say that within my work, there's a kind of constant push and pull between intuition, emotion, cerebral philosophical dimension a more social and cultural purpose and then sometimes it's also dry you know it's my job so sometimes those really romantic elements about making artwork and being involved in a creative career are really just not there at all so it's this really interesting song i would say with lots of different notes and some of those notes are really high and some of them are really mundane
3: And, Ramesh, what are your thoughts on the artist's flow
0: state? It's quite interesting to think about what a flow state might be in the context of creative practice because I think there are a lot of perceptions around what that might look like and feel like versus what it actually is. And something that I think is really interesting about, especially work that's very labour-intensive, manual labour and time is really the most important process in the studio. And a lot of the time, that manual labor actually isn't very creative. It isn't isn't very inspired. It's actually the process of ideation. That's the inspiring part. And the creativity comes from constantly having to edit, push, pull, and change decisions through your making process. So I'm constantly working in a way that's somewhat non-linear, but also working with and against technical limitations of certain materials. So. When I talk about a flow state in my studio, for me, the most ideal state is when something's hard. And for me, I think complacency, being mundane, repetitive labor is quite unsatisfying. I'm quite open to risk, to things not working out. And I think high stakes generates high rewards. So I think people need to ask themselves, what is the value of creativity? And I think it's about changing their outlook. It's activating certain elements in their brain that they can apply to other things. It's a little bit like training. People who go to the gym, they have resistance training. They learn methods, you know, to approach certain types of equipment. I think if people thought about creativity and creative skills as almost something that you need to nurture and develop, it's not something that's innate. Like some personality types generally are more creative than others. Some people might have core values that lend themselves more to creativity. But I think it's if people actually thought about creativity as a skill that could be progressively developed through very simple acts, I think that would actually really enrich their lives.
3: Janelle, often perfectionism mm. can lead to analysis paralysis and inability to start anything. So how can uh, we harness the artist's practice of just starting,
2: Janelle? Mm. Uh, and I find th- that's a difficult thing too because uh, I, have, I have about five canvases <laughs> that have been sitting in my studio for at least 10 years really? and I know what I want to do with them but I haven't started. Right. Ah. And so the way around that for me was to just put some colour on the canvas. So just put a, put a ground on, so get some burnt sienna paint or yellow ochre and just smear it on the canvas so that I get rid of that the whiteness. And I think that that's the... When you talk about um, perfectionism and paralysis, um, it, it comes because we're looking at a blank page and we're looking at the blank slate. And by just disrupting that, even taking a pencil and putting... A mark on it or something disrupts that perfection of the white space, and then from there we can start, we can loosen up and start doing some work. yeah
3: Now you teach art, critical and theoretical study at the VCA, the Victorian College of the Arts. What have you observed in your graduates about how artistic practices can be applied? to various
2: jobs? Mm, because what we teach is for our students to think laterally and to be creative in problem solving. So those skills are transferable in any industry whatsoever. And I'm actually reminded of, um, there's a, the Philips, the light bulb people, I, I call them <laughs> the, I mean, I don't know what their actual business is, but I'm saying light bulb because that's how I associate them. But I was reading an article several years ago that they were having problems with switching, you know, during that halogen to LED mm. process. And uh, they started an artist-in-residency program at their engineering plant. And the artist was a sculptor who was given free reign to work with all of their light bulbs, fluorescent tubes, et cetera. And the artist came up with this uh, idea of of trying to make something, mm. but the technology didn't exist. So they got the engineers and the artists to work together solve this technology problem, and now Philips have a new line of product that they can put onto the market. Mm. So it's those kinds of ways, and I'd like to encourage more industry partners actually to partner, because we're very good at solving problems. (laughs)
3: And there's the stereotype of the artist being a reclusive lone wolf, working alone in their studio. But how do you cultivate the artist as collaborator?
2: Well, that's part of the training, actually. Yeah, so the artist as collaborator, I think that that's the way that we move forward. And obviously, you know, we're still going to have artistic practitioners who want to, myself included, you know, have time in the studio as a solo practitioner. But more and more we are looking to be um, building relationships, collaborating, finding creative solutions um, to to problems and and uh, and finding you know because it's actually expansive when you collaborate with others who have a different worldview or a different opinion than yourself, you're creating something new and vibrant. and I, I find that I find that really exciting yeah. We often talk about
3: trying to get into a flow state mm-hmm. when you're at work. So, how does that happen for you as an artist? Do you focus on that when you also teach people um, mm. to be artists?
2: Mm. Mm. Um, yes, it's 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 a. I suppose a different thing within the critical theory subjects because that's more of uh, the lecture environment Uh, but within the tutorials and the seminars then yes I I like to get the students into some kind of flow uh, through way of thinking by building on or bringing out their own experiences and their own um, perspectives Mm. um, which also helps uh, when it it transfers to the studio Mm. that um, there's uh, being in the flow or being in that kind of Zen mode of thinking, um, which uh, I think is a you know is a great state to be in. Uh, do you do
3: it in an explicit way? Like, do you help people tap into that somehow?
2: I think it's the the act of actually making mm. um, that, of, creates that creates flow that flow state. Flow state, yeah, that yeah. It's a, it's a generative state. So yeah. um, it's you know, and we do say being in the flow, and sometimes that you know that doesn't always work because there are problems that need to be solved and, and so journaling diary entries or even just um, as, I, as I come back to uh, how you uh, see and be in the world so looking through magazines looking through journals read reading tearing pictures out of things um and just keeping a, 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 what we call a visual diary. And, th- and that visually stimulates our brain also to start.
3: What's that? What's the visual diary? Oh,
2: so, um, so that's all your doodles and your little drawings, images that you see that inspire you or... Uh, you just so, what, stick them in the book. Mm, yeah, you stick them in a journal. And that... Because that's personal for you as well, you know. So how you see the world is different from how I see the world based on our, you know, your experiences and my experiences and what you might find interesting in a, in a newspaper or a magazine. I may not find interesting, but you could choose that, put it in, stick it in your journal and then it might, it's like a mood board, you know, and people do interior design and they yes. say, okay, um, I like this colour yes. and I like that piece of furniture. Yes, I'm
3: somehow drawn to this, so yes. I'll stick it down in my book and then yes. just uh, without any reason. That's right. Yeah. but then i can use it to maybe mm. get me to think in a different way. That's right. So it sounds like this is something that we could all create for ourselves an, an inspiration.
2: We book. could mm, absolutely. And and one other thing i think that's really helpful is before you go to bed at night in your in your journal is to just offload all those thoughts from the day um before you go to sleep. Uh, and so that they're not keeping you up at night. Mm. Um, Does that help? Oh, it does, yeah. Uh, So I was taught when I was doing my degree to just offload everything into the journal at night time, close it, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, and then my first thoughts, also journal those, but then not look at it for a week. And it can include pictures, it can include, you know, um, words, text, and then after a week to come back to it and then read it. And it's amazing how, <laughs> one, what you're kind of what you're obsessing about. And, yeah. and, and you're two, like, oh, that's,
3: you know, barely hit the surface of my life now, Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, What seems big at the time.
2: That's right. It's barely there because you haven't yeah. thought about it for a week. But then you also may find solutions to your problems in there as well. So you, you know. must have a lot of journals. I do. <laughs> you look at most artists, they have a lot of journals. Yeah. So, right and I, I'm kind of obsessive about mine because I have to have really beautifully quali- quality binding and beautiful oh. quality you know paper and that kind of thing, so but others are just use
3: I think anyone who's starting off though we should just buy like a pretty cheap journal because otherwise you'll be all gear, no idea. <laughs>
2: I like, that. I like that saying. Do you mind if I borrow that? You may borrow that. <laughs> yeah, so you can go to any art store, even news agency, and they have the little A5 spiral bound journals. So, yeah, yeah visual diaries and you just use those. Yeah.
3: Now, I have heard of people, so workers saying, you know, I do this um, art or hobby uh, to switch off in a way that makes it sound destructive rather than additive. Mm. I'm wondering what your reflections are on that.
2: Well, rather than switching, I understand what they're Mm. saying. They're really just offloading. Mm. Um, And I think that, as I said, that that's a really important part of our life, is to offload all that extraneous material that's keeping us from being creative beings. So dump that first, mm. rather than dumping it to your partner as soon as you walk in the door at night. Um, oh, Okay, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. Mental note. <laughs> note to self. <laughs> dump, it, dump it in your journal. Right? Yes, you, never, you need never look at it again, but I think it's helpful to look at it after a week. Yeah. And then you're free to be that creative person mm. and that interest stimulating person that you want to bring to your relationships.
3: I love that. Mm -hmm.
2: And then if we are struggling to create and
3: innovate, what are your hints and tips there, Janelle?
2: Uh, I think playfulness is really important. Yeah. It doesn't have to represent anything. It doesn't have to be, you know, the big artistic statement. It's just what is personal for you and what makes you happy and how you can express that creatively.
3: Thanks to my guests, to sound engineer Kerry Dell and to producer Zoe Ferguson, who, like me, is enjoying doodling with watercolours at the moment. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. This was a special episode for ABC Arts Week. If you want more like this, head to abc.net.au slash artsweek. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, work it, baby.
0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music,
1: and more.